King Wave Fox Beard Lock is acting very weird Captain Pike Crystal's wife Klingons and the afterlife Boimler Tendy's dog Ransom is very harsh Four Drive Black Alert Giorgio has gone berserk Teacher bad left, Edward is an idiot, Fox is dead, Wolf is wed, Chekhov's wearing red, Tita's cat, Kempak's hat, Q has had enough of that, Beam me up, make it so, everybody let's go! We are Well, good evening, Trekkies and Trekkers around the globe. It is Thursday, December 7th, 2023, and this is episode 567 of this podcast. Hard to believe. Wow. So, um, yeah, I don't know what to say about that other than thank you. We have a really great show planned for you guys tonight. If you're fans of Captain Christopher Pike, be it The Cage, be it Discovery Season 2, be it The Short Treks, or be it Strange New Worlds, because, yes, there are four Pikes, this is the show for you because we're going to be talking about Pike in all of his glory. So it's going to be a lot of fun. But before we get too far, I want to introduce to you guys my Trek spurts for tonight. And we have a uh, special uh, Trek spurt joining us tonight in the studio, well, actually online. Uh, we have TJ Green, and uh, TJ is from Ticonderoga. Welcome to the podcast, TJ. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, great to be here. And uh, it's, it's fun because uh, I get to walk around a recreation of the Enterprise for my job. I mean, who else gets to, who else gets to say that? That's true. That's very, very true. I, I, I wish people would pay me to talk about Star Trek, <laughs> <laughs> which they don't. And uh, by the way, I just while I'm talking, it has nothing to do really with TJ, but I just want to let everybody know that's listening that this podcast is not an official Paramount-sanctioned podcast. None of us work for Paramount. None of us have, like, inside connections where I can call up Jerry Ryan and say, hey, you want to go out for a pizza? Um, you know, we're just fans like you guys. So I get these messages on our uh, Facebook page all the time, you know, asking about this, that, the other thing. And it's like, um, you know, I have no say in any of that. I wish I did. You know, if anyone at Paramount is listening, hey, I'm, I'm here. Just call me, but we are not official and we're not affiliated in any way, shape, or form with any of the Star Trek products that are officially licensed and produced. Um, so I wanted to get that out there um, because I keep, I'm getting a lot of questions on our, our Facebook page about Strange New Worlds and Prodigy and stuff like that. And, and I, I, I wish I could give you guys the answers you want, but unfortunately myself or none of my Trek experts are directly involved with anything that Paramount does with Star Trek. So just a little disclaimer I wanted to get out there. But, uh, TJ, how did you get involved in uh, the original series set tours? Oh, boy. Um, it's, 
a bit of a long story, so I'm going to try to cut it short. Um, so uh, as we were kind of talking before we started the show, uh, I grew up in a, a small town in uh, Poultney, and I was, uh, well, small town is Poultney in Vermont, and so I was already a huge Star Trek fan. I relocated to go work for The Great Escape, Methods of Madness, because it does involve it. Um, a gentleman was performing at The Great Escape the year I started working there. Um, his name's James Colley, and he's an Elvis impersonator. So we got to work together that season, and then through my wife, we kind of got to be friends, and we both discovered that we had a huge uh, mutual interest in Star Trek. So that was pretty cool. I had no clue what he was doing at the time. And so flash forward a few years, it's my wife's and I anniversary. And he invites us up to Ticonderoga because at the time he was still filming uh, the Star Trek fan films uh, called New Voyages at the time. And uh, they had just gotten through the halfway point of filming um, Torrent of Destiny, I believe the film was called. And so we got invited to walk around the set and uh, kind of take in what was finished at the time. And then hadn't, you know, been able to get a chance to go back up there, but I kept in contact with James, you know, ever since. And then last month, it was just at the tail end of our Fright Fest season at Great Escape. I get contacted by him, and he said, I'm adding you to the staff when's as soon as you can start. And so I got to shadow my first weekend about a month ago, and I got to see it as the original series set tour. And, you know, I'm still pinching myself because every time I – lead a tour now, I'm, I'm getting goosebumps every time I walk through a room. Well, you know, what's, you know what's really cool, TJ? You mentioned that you lived in Poultney. I lived in Poultney. I Poultney's think not, you and I Poultney's, go way back then. Poultney's not really a big place, and I happen to know somebody named TJ from Poultney who used to come to my sci-fi shop when I had it in Poultney. Yes, I did. In fact, would that be uh, the same playing... TJ? It is, my friend. It is. You know, I, it, this is such a small world, guys. Unbelievable, unbelievable. That had to be over twenty years ago, at least. Cause, wow. Uh, I remember. I remember you were showing the movies on your laserdisc player in the shop. Yes. Oh, my God, guys, this is a small, small world, isn't it? <laughs> Pretty wow. cool. Pretty yes. cool. Yes, that, that was we, – we, we were renting DVDs, and I had a sci-fi shop in Poultney. Uh, Jamie was, oh, my God, tiny at the time. It had to be 20 years ago. She could have been much older than five. Yeah, it was a long time ago, TJ. It's great to hear from you. I can't – it's a shock. That I, when you started talking, I was like, "Wait a minute! There's got to be the same TJ. There's not many TJs well, that lived in Poultney." I your voice when I listened to previous episodes, and I, I just like 
you know that moment where you're kind of like walking around the store and you don't want to be that guy who says, oh, I know you, and then all of a sudden they're like, who the hell are you? <laughs> yep, it's, it's, it's great. It's Wow, great to hear from you, TJ. It's been a while. <laughs> so, anyways, guys, there's a little history on TJ and myself. We go way back. And uh, to continue on with my truck spurts, we have with us, we'll swing back to Las Vegas. And in Las Vegas, we have Charles. How are you doing tonight, Charles? I'm doing all right. For those that have kept up on the news, the phrase of the day here is UNLV strong and Vegas strong. Yeah, that's that's tragic. Yeah. That is tragic. It really is. I, I just don't it have is. any other words to say, but terrible. And uh, from Portland, I have my, my triple play, my trifecta, my hat trick from Portland. We'll start off with the donut guy himself, David. How you doing tonight, David? Hey, I'm pretty good, pretty good. No donuts tonight, though. I'm eating something called Pop Nuts, so, <clears throat> yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, we heard the uh, crunching earlier. <laughs> yeah, it's just popcorn, but, you know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm doing pretty good, but, uh, yeah, glad to be here. Yeah, it's going to be fun. And also from Portland, we have our very own toy guy himself, Paul. How you doing tonight, Paul? I know, I'm doing okay, Uncle Jim. I'm doing all right. I'm glad that it's Thursday. I'm glad that tomorrow's Friday. Um, uh, <laughs> this week's been racing at full tilt, brother. But uh, but it's good, and I'm really uh, I'm excited for the topic of uh, the show tonight. I think it's uh, definitely something that will be really cool to talk about, apart from just like what did we just re- see this week that's new in review. So I think this is a cool theme. And and I just what did you think about the Playmates news that they pulled the plug on their Star Trek line? Oh that yeah, one? that's a whole thing, man. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really kind of a bummer because you know they they. Back in the day, they were like the king of, of Star Trek merchandise and toys, right? Playmates toys. They had hundreds of, of great waves of, of wonderful figures, really, really great. And then for whatever reason, they, they lost the license, disappeared. And we were all very celebratory when they came back on, right? I mean, they were had basically one wave, <laughs> you know? That touched into like all the different you know areas of the franchise. They had, they redid some of the classic figures with better articulation. They did a couple of the newer ones. They did some prodigy stuff. They did a couple of discover discovery figures. But and then we're like, all right, well, with the cadence of like you know uh, like people who collect like Star Wars figures, uh, for example, it's not a bad thing to say. But it's you know you got to have several waves a year. You just can't just sit there, you know, twiddling your thumbs. And uh, and they just didn't really produce. They had one wave, and I think they're trying to, come, you know, spin it so that they say, oh, sales were not good. But sales are only good if you have a really exciting product. And it has nothing to do with the franchise. It has to do with their handling of said franchise. So I think they kind of dropped the ball. Um, distribution was a little sketchy, and marketing was really abysmal. You know, they, they, they got, you know, off to a good start. They got John Delancey helping them out with some of their early web advertising, but they did nothing with it. And they didn't really revisit. And, you know, most fans who collect have had like a, a good, you know, 10, 15, 20 wish list long of figures that never got made. 
that would have been great, that wouldn't have required any kind of likeness rights to do, that would have been really fantastic, and they never did it. So I, I think they got to just, you know, take the blame themselves, Jim. They really shot themselves in the foot. I hope somebody uh, with a little more chutzpah will come along and uh, fill the void. But, you know, it's, uh, they, they had their shot, and they blew it. And sometimes that's what happens. So a sad day, but certainly not the end of collecting by any means. You know, we had the vice president of marketing on the show, if you recall. Oh, yeah. Was, you know, talking with him, and he was telling us of all the great plans they had, and none of it materialized. But, um, you know, Eric posted on the Facebook page, and I commented to Eric on our Facebook page, and I think you're absolutely right. I think their marketing was terrible, and I think that getting the product out to people was terrible, too. You can't buy it if you can't find it. And everywhere I go, it's aisles and aisles and aisles of Star Wars toys. Try to find Star Trek out there. Yeah, it just was only one. Just the only retailer really carried it with any like uh, consistency was you'd see them crammed in amongst the NECA stuff and like Target, you know, and the, yeah. and the Funko Pops and stuff. And that's the only place you'd see them, right? And it just wasn't. Uh, it just was really poorly handled. So it's just, but you got to really, you know. Uh, you know, the only way to do this business and do it well is you got to make sure you've got super hardcore fans involved, either as part of focus groups or working for the company. And if you're not doing that, you're just going to drop the ball. We're having, like, Jim, they're having these, like, 20-minute <coughs> interview segments between introducing each of the Trexperts here. It's crazy. <laughs> you know it's a mistake wow. to get me talking about toys, man. It's just well, like, I, I wanted to get the you ball over to, to Eric, brother. I, I wanted to get you time. to the top of the show before – before we got too deep into the pike, I wanted to get your your input on the whole thing, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a, it's a shame, but uh, you know, it's a, they did it to themselves. They did it to themselves, Michael. You know, it's like, what are you gonna do? So, you know, you know what, uh, hopefully uh, somebody else will do a better job. With all the new shows coming out, they could have done a Strange New World line and started with brand new figures instead of rehashing the old. There's so many things. Playmates, if you're listening, give us a call. We'll, we'll set you straight. So yeah, I mean, anyway. I'm bummed out because I've had like, I've had like a prodigy hologram Janeway figure on pre-order for like a year and a half. I know I'm never going to see that now. You know, that's not going to get produced. So it's just like that's going to get dumped. So um, the only other place I would uh, that is uh, a ray of hope is there's an overseas company called Haya. H i y a Hyatt Toys, and they are starting to produce uh, Star Trek figures in a roughly three, four inch scale that look pretty good. Um, that you'll be seeing those here at the start of the year. Um, kind of focusing on like the J.J. Abrams aspect of the franchise, those films. But um, they've been doing a great job with the Alien franchise for quite a while. So I would keep my eye on that, toy collectors, and you'll probably find some cool product uh, coming out from those guys. So there you have it. The toy guy has set you straight. And uh, my last Trek spurt, guess where he's from? Portland as well. Is our very own Eric. How you doing tonight, Eric? Hey, Jim. I'm doing pretty darn good. I'm having a good night. Had a good day. I'm kind of like Paul. Really super glad tomorrow is Friday. Um, shh, don't tell anybody. I'm only working a half day tomorrow, and then David and I are getting together to play Star Trek Away missions. But shh, keep it quiet. <laughs> Uh, so that'll be a good time. But 
mostly tonight is Thursday, December 7th, and that means that it, of course, is the first night of Hanukkah. And so we are celebrating the first night of Hanukkah, and I'll say Hanukkah Sameach to all the people out there who celebrate. Uh, I hope you uh, I hope you have a good night. I hope you eat some, some nice oily latkes and celebrate with your families. It should be a good time. And, of course, for those in the USA, it happens to be Pearl Harbor Day as well. So... We'll yep. Throw that. Yep. Lots of uh, lots of remembrances going out to those people who were involved in that. And probably not many of them around anymore. If you are still around and listening to this podcast, uh, wow, uh, yeah, what an ordeal, uh, amazing, amazing thing. But yeah, a returning point in in that conflict. Absolutely. And we, if you're listening to the sound of my voice right now, that we are live. And that means that you can let your fingers do the walking and call Trek Talking right now at 646-668-2433. And we'll get you on the air, and you can talk with us about Captain Pike, your thoughts on Captain Pike. It's going to be a lot of fun. But before we go too far, though, I want to let you guys know that um, as of right now, we have 132,250 downloads of this podcast, so thanks so much for making that happen. And you can head over to our Facebook page, and over on our Facebook page, we have 192,522 followers. We're closing in on 200,000. Eric, can you believe that? Wow, <laughs> that's something else. I can't, that's that's really incredible. I mean, uh, like we, were, we often bring it up, but uh, when I joined... In 2017, so what is that? Six years ago, uh, we had less than 5,000 followers. So, yeah. we're getting we're popular. Leaps and bounds. <laughs> uh, if you've missed any of our podcasts, or you just want to know what's going on in the Star Trek world, or maybe you want to see what the Trek sports look like, you know, maybe you want to see just how good-looking Paul really is. If he's as sexy mm-hmm. as his voice, okay, um, you can head over to TrekTalking.com. And there's a co-host section, and you can read a little bit about each one of us. There's a picture of us. But other than that, there's some blog posts over there, and every one of our podcasts is archived there. So you'll never miss a show. So you can go to trektalking.com to get everything you need. So now that we've got that out of the way, on our Facebook page at the top, you see a Live Long and Prosper post in with a simple question saying, hey, dude, where are you listening from? And just drop us a line. Let us know where you're listening from. Emojis are good. That'll get my attention. You know, uh, food emojis, little pizzas and stuff, you know, little hamburgers will get my attention. Flags will get my attention. Um, when I look through the post, I pick uh, 15, I'm sorry, 20 uh, lucky listeners. And we give you a personal fan shout-out on this podcast, which we're about to do. So do you want to get us started with our fan shout-outs, Eric? Do I ever. Our very first fan shout-out this week goes out to Akil Ahmed, who's saying hello to us over in Scotland. Akil, thank you so much for saying hello to us, and thanks for supporting us in a beautiful, absolutely beautiful part of the world. I hope to visit one day myself. Uh, Live long and prosper to you. Also, hello to top fan Elonka Liska, who's saying hello to us from Jülich, Germany. 
Elanka from Germany, you are a top fan. That means that you just really spend a lot of time on our Facebook page. And that is, of course, uh, you're, it's a natural reaction <laughs> given how much content we have there. We have so much stuff. Jim keeps us all busy with lots of cool memes, uh, lots of cool discussions. If you browse the comment sections of uh, any of our posts, uh, they go deep sometimes. So, Alanka, thank you so much for spending a lot of time on our Facebook page and for saying hello to us and uh, supporting our podcast. We appreciate it. Hello as well this week to Patricia Whitman saying hello to us from Brisbane, Australia, down under. Patricia, thank you so much for carrying our torch down in that part of the world. And Christina Vlad is the last person on my list. Christina Vlad is saying hello to us from, no kidding, Transylvania, Romania. Vlad, hmm, sounds fishy or batty to me, I guess. Yeah. Christina, thank you so much for saying that. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. <laughs> All right, uh, I'm going to pass this uh, megaphone over to Charles, who's probably going to bring it back home, I would imagine. Yep, I certainly will. <clears throat> Welcome to... Aunt Z from Silicon Valley, California. Oh, I wonder part, which part of Silicon Valley. Spent some time there in the mid-80s. Welcome to Lakota Spoolman from Las Vegas, Nevada. Name doesn't sound familiar. I wonder if you're connected to any of the ships in town. Welcome to Andrew Leard, a top fan from the Florida Keys. Uh, uh, I know you're you're keeping warm down there, not like the rest of us. And welcome to Linda Hayes from Alvarado, Texas. David, who do you want to welcome? Hello, people from everywhere. I would like to welcome a top fan, Justo Sasha from Miami Beach, Florida, sending us a little picture of a... I'm assuming that's a Palm Island with a beach. And next on my list, I would like to say welcome to another top fan, Matthew Barkley from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Ah, heading down. I am actually, no, we're going to be heading up, I guess. Saying a welcome to Michael Davis from North Carolina. And then swinging over to the west is a top fan. Hello, top fan Paula Dent from California, USA, sending us a little USA flag. And I'm going to give this off to Paul. Thanks, my friend. Appreciate it, David. Well, you know, we always like to celebrate the fact that uh, Star Trek fans tend to be united in their uh, enthusiasm for all parts of the franchise. And it is a global phenomenon, our love of Star Trek. It is an international Phenomenon, And we are so fortunate here at Trek Talk and have so many folks from across the globe, from all different hemispheres, all different longitudes and latitudes that come together to enjoy talking about Star Trek together, including Camilla Bonde Larsen from Copenhagen, Denmark. What a fantastic place to hang your hat and reside, Camilla. I hope that you are having a great time there. I know you get your pretty hardcore winters over there, so stay warm. Enjoy a good toddy and uh, keep watching Star Trek. And uh, when spring comes, you'll have some new episodes of Discovery to uh, keep yourselves entertained. So great to hear from you. Thanks for checking in. 
Really excited uh, to get a big thumbs up here from our friend Marcello Fiore in the beautiful land of Sardinia, uh, island off the uh, western coast of Italy there uh, from uh, the uh, Principality of Cagliari there in Sardinia. But amazing uh, place. Uh, I'm pretty sure Cagliari is the capital city of uh, Sardinia. Uh, I know it's famous for having a medieval walled quarter called Castello. There a lot of amazing uh, 13th century architecture that's there. It's pretty famous. Uh, I would love to spend a good long time in that absolutely gorgeous, colorful town. So someday uh, it will be, uh, I may be rubbing elbows with you, uh, Marcello, in a cafe there, because it's definitely a place I would absolutely love to visit. We're going to jump back across the uh, to the continent here and say hello to our good friend Lena Patterson. Lena Patterson is actually a top fan of ours uh, from the beautiful land of Sweden, uh, flag billowing proudly here on planet Earth. Lena Patterson, Patterson, sorry, my mispronunciation there. I don't want to do that to a top fan, but it's great to hear from you and thanks for being a fan and sharing your enthusiasm. And then it is great to hear from our friend a little bit further to uh, the Northwest from Patty Farrells in Ireland. And uh, Patty says that I cannot wait until we are united. So I think a sentiment that many people share, Patty. So just keep staying positive and working towards uh, people sharing their things that they love. And that is the path to unification, my friend. So from uh, the land of Denmark to Sweden, Sardinia, Ireland, and all the other parts on the uh, United Earth, it's great to be able to know that we all have something in common. Wouldn't you say that's true, Uncle Jim? I would completely agree, Paul. I want to send out a hearty couple and live long and prosper to David Harris, who's in the Big Apple. New York, New York. Thank you for being a fan, David Harris. I also want to say hello and thank you to Amanda Whitley, who's listening to us in North Carolina, U.S. of A., and top fan Bill Johnson, who's listening to us in Texas and sends us an American flag, waving proudly. And last, but definitely not least on my list, another top fan, Robert Hunter. Kapla! He's listening in Wisconsin, and he says, I was one of the Tribbles on Star Trek. And flashes what? us not one, Ooh. not two, wow. but three Live long and prosper. That's how you catch my eye. So we got to get Robert, Robert on the podcast, Jim. I, I mean, yeah. if he was like literally on start, we got to get him on, man. That'd be awesome. Yeah, I will. I'll work. On that. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, he's a top fan, and how you become a top fan? You go to our Facebook page and you interact. I put up questions, um, polls, everything. You just head on over there and interact. And one thing I want to point out about our Facebook page is I spend, uh, uh, well, uh, uh, Charles as well, we spend a lot of time trying to keep our Facebook page safe for you guys as fans. And uh, we try to get rid of people that are disrespectful, people that are attacking fans, people that um, don't, uh, that are trolls. <laughs> Let me just say that. So, you know, you can pretty much feel safe and going to our, our Facebook page and being yourself there, that you won't be harassed or bullied because we try to keep that to a minimum. That doesn't mean that you're not allowed to say, I don't like this or I don't like that or I like this and over that. That's perfectly fine. 
um, it's attacking other fans that's not. So you can feel safe at Trek Talking. All right, guys. So we've done our fan intros, and uh, you, you've met all the Trek experts, and now it's time for the meat and potatoes. No, I'm not talking about Leslie, of the podcast. And as I said on our Facebook page probably two, three weeks ago, I put up a post asking our Facebook fans to score the cage on a score of 1 to 10, with 10 being the best. And Eric, what did our Facebook fans have to say about the cage? Well, Liam Heffernan gave it a 9. The cage is a brilliant piece of TV and sci-fi story. It can be a little slow at times, for which I would have scored it lower, but since it is where Star Trek began and released years later, it holds up nicely and gives us a great insight into the universe. Thanks, Liam. Top fan Jacob Kyler gave it an 11 out of 10. Sorry, Jacob, we have to average that down to a 10, but we appreciate your enthusiasm. The best Star Trek episode for me. Wow, love it. Uh, Super cool. Top fan Mike Pontos gave it a 9.9. The characters, for the most part, are full. You can get an idea of the relationships between Pike, Pike's quarters, uh, aside one of my personal favorites. Well-scripted, well-acted, good story. Thanks, Mike. Top fan Johnny Gold 7, which is a great name, <laughs> gave it a 10. It's still amazing, thoughtful, well-written, one of the best scenes of any Star Trek episode. In Pike's quarters with Captain Pike and Dr. Boyce, there it is again, take, talking about life and giving up on Starfleet. Thanks, Johnny. Brian Kane also gave it a 10, stands out on its own as a great science fiction movie, even if Star Trek had never become a series. It has a very different feel than the rest of TOS, but it's smart and atmospheric. Absolutely, Brian. Janet Sutherland gave it a five, was not keen on this episode at all. I can understand why it was rejected. Top fan Michael Riley said a solid 10. Looking at it from TV standards and technology at the time it was produced, 1964 to 1965, it was astonishing even as a standalone story. It's not fair to compare it to the now 1,000-plus Star Trek episodes that followed over the next 60 years. On its own, The Cage was many years ahead of its time. It is in its own category in the history of not only Star Trek, but science fiction overall. Thanks, Michael. Jeff Simpson gave it a six. There are reasons the network passed on the original pilot. They were able to break it into two to make it palatable with a new format. I think that's probably a menagerie reference, if I was guessing. The Spock character was not believable as an unemotional Vulcan where he had to carry the energy load because Jeffrey Hunter was so flat as Pike. Shatner was the perfect over-the-top performer to play with Nimoy's restrained Spock. Top fan Mick Schnaufer said, as a standalone piece of science fiction, especially in 1964, it's an easy 10, although I'm definitely a Bill Shatner fan. I've always wondered how different Star Trek would have been if NBC had said yes to this pilot and or Jeffrey Hunter would, have not, uh, would not have quit. And uh, finally, top fan Carl Graves gave it an 8. Very good show in a lot of ways, but I think if humans hated captivity as much as the Talosians say, it would have been impossible for them to, give, to keep Vina alive for 18 years. Also, they should worry about inbreeding, really. They should beam down the entire Enterprise crew and use them for breeding stock. 
Also, I think they give up on the Pelusians a little too easily. We could have used them for translators with any aliens we happen to meet, thereby giving a plausible explanation for why everyone seems to understand English. On the other hand, how do you have military secrets or much of any kind of other secrets in a society that has thousands of telepaths that can read minds and create Commodore Mendez illusions eight days away at maximum warp? Do we want to give any of our characters this much power to some extent? I have the same question about the next generation Betazoids. Very thorough, Carl. Thank you so much. And that gives us, guys, a combined fan score this week of 8.3 for the episode. Wow. Not not too bad. Not too bad. And uh, before we dive in, we have a caller on the line, guys. Our phone number Woo-hoo. here, as I said, is 646-668-2433. And uh, let's get the caller Thank on the you. line. Well, I will. Hey, it's a backstory. How the hell you got into the world? Right. It's a backstory. Hello. So it's called Strange New Worlds. Strange New Worlds. That's right. <laughs> What's happening, Ray? Hey, Ray. Hey, what's up? How are you doing, Ray? What's happening on the Bronx? Couple of books. Listen, Uncle Jim, may I ask you a question? Um, I, I, I tried to text you guys yesterday. I, text, I texted, but I don't know. I know you, you, you see my text. Um, I don't think I saw it. I definitely well, would have got back. Okay, um... Okay, and let me say, I'm fine, I'm all fine, but I just want to know, do you have another contest for um, Star Trek Strange New Worlds second season? Unfortunately, we do not. I I reached out to the to the company that provided them for season one to find out if they were going to do something for season two, and. Apparently they they weren't giving any away for season two. I don't know why. I don't know either. I don't know why either. I know. I mean. I mean. I'm no. That's that's what we call. No. No. do. I'm. I'm. No. I gotta buy it. But anyway. I mean. But but I mean. But anyway. But but anyway. You show my cousin Pike segment. You know what? Yo, I'm telling you right now. The second season. The second season. The sixth season is really good. You know what I'm saying? But I'm waiting for the part. Once they read to the delusions, that that's a way for. I know it's gonna take about at least like two, or three, oh my god, season three, season four, around there, around there. You you see the Telosians, uh, uh season two of the Discovery. Cage. Well, they they show up on Discovery in season two. When what? Pike, when, yeah, when Pike yeah. Pike ends up uh, back. Uh, yeah, you'll see the Telosians in season two of Star Trek Discovery, along with Vina as well. Wait, oh, wait, hold on. Wait, 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 whoa, 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 I mean, I mean, I could have yeah. sworn like the discovery. I could have sworn like the discovery. Anyway, uh, in this, in discovery is it backstory too? So Captain Pike comes on Discovery season two as the captain when Lorca uh, goes back to the mirror universe and that whole story. So in season two of Discovery, Captain Pike is the captain of the Discovery, and they go back and hang and meet the Telosians and Vina and that whole story. 
unravels on Discovery Season 2. Uh, Jim. Okay, you know what? Okay, 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 uh, okay, 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 you know what? That made it. Season two, episode eight. Yep. Season two, episode eight, Discovery. Okay, I'm okay. I'm gonna look. I'm gonna look that up. But I mean, but but I mean, but I'm gonna look. But anyway, I mean, anyway, you know what I'm saying? How you guys doing? These. Yep. 
It's 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 good. It's good for sure. So um, the one thing I wanted to, to to start off with was one of the things that got me interested in Star Trek way back in the day when I was you know teenage Jim, when I was discovering Star Trek was the fact that there was a two part episode called The Menagerie, and the first time I saw The Menagerie, and I realized, wait a minute, there was a captain before Kirk. There was a whole other missions that happened before this, and immediately the fact that Star Trek had its built-in history just pulled me in, and I and I was hooked. Unfortunately, I would have to wait until 1991 when they released the the cage in its original form. It was it was half black and white and half color because the cage was originally filmed in black and white, and they went in and, re- and colorized the parts that they put into the menagerie to show on TV. As you guys recall, one of the big things for Star Trek was now in living color, so they had to colorize. They had to go back and do those scenes in color. The original parts were all in black and white, and it would switch black from black and white to color and black and white to color, and there was a little introduction by Gene Roddenberry on the laser disc telling you all about it. And I was so excited when I got to see the cage in its entirety, the way it was meant. And so I'm really excited to talk about that tonight. So who wants to dive in and get us started with the cage? How about you, Paul? You want to jump in and start us off with the cage? Sure, man. Um, I will just say that uh, I'm, you know, uh, super biased because I'm just unabashedly positive and enthusiastic about this corner of the uh, of the early, I'm a, I'm, you know, like a lot of our listeners, I'm like a very much an old school uh, original series guy because that's what I grew up watching on the on the TV set, sprawled on the carpet, right? And it was just uh, always super engaging. I mean, that was like you know the the fables and myths growing up with, right? And like you said, when you found out that whoa, 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 and of course we all got it through uh, through the cage, right? Through the two parter. I mean, through uh, the menagerie, the two parter, right? And to get this whole like flashback, this earlier story that there was another captain in the early days, and and whoa, the ship looks different. The phasers look different. They have to like grip the front of them and turn them. I mean, that was so cool, right? You got to see this kind of rust, and it, it, even we all know it's like the early production version, the early design of things, but it just made it seem like you were going back in time and seeing this earlier story about you know something in Spock's past that we didn't know about, and it was really cool. The fact that they were able to take that episode and cut it together the way they did was just compelling as hell and that there could be a, another captain of the enterprise who was different from Kirk who didn't express himself the same way. And, you know, during that time we get this look at what is Pike like? Well, he's kind of, when we see him in the cage, he's a guy who really, he's kind of at the end of his rope, right? He's probably drinking too much. He's uh, feeling sorry for himself. He is, uh, he's kind of in despair. He's like, I'm not doing a very good job here. I just got a bunch of people killed. And he's he's kind of down. He's he's thinking about hanging it up, really, at, at this point when we first meet him. He's in a down place, which is really interesting, right? Because he's not just the stalwart hero. He's a guy who's failed and screwed up. And I think that is absolutely fascinating. I, I think that is really a, a great character intro. And but he's a tough guy, and they do their thing, and uh, and it's just I just love the way that Pike was introduced. There's a lot of cool things 
that we see, uh, however you want to look at it, you the cage or the menagerie two-part or whatever, you get pretty much the same content in there. You get a different doctor, uh, you know, because it's all pre-McCoy, right? Pre-man trap, different doctor, different era. Um, it, it's fascinating. You know, if you need to go and do a thing, right, they will go down and they can transmit this massive freaking laser cannon down on the ground, right? And transmit the full brunt of the ship's power to try to blast through the top of a rock. That was cool. They're wearing like these cool, like, you know, 60s tinted goggles and they're trying to blast the top of this mountain off. And, and the whole story is just about, you know, the power of illusion and what you can, what you can be made to think you see versus what's really there. And just so really good, pulpy classic science fiction tropes man the kind of you know during the heyday of like asimov science fiction magazine analog this is the kind of stuff that you just couldn't get enough of and to see it on tv was incredible and to be a kid growing up with that was just amazing so i'm a huge fan of this episode i'm a huge fan of like early pike um and then you know uh to see what happens to him later right and the way they he was depicted in the menagerie in the two-parter it's just it's just terrible you know he's just uh it's like the worst thing you can imagine he's just like he's still alive but he's just he's trapped inside of his body and the idea that your brain can still be doing its thing but your body has betrayed you i think is something that a lot of people uh who experience disability can really relate to and uh and it was just really compelling so um for me it's just one of the 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 most fantastic touchstones of science fiction and television history uh, a massive fan of both the cage the Menagerie two-parter, and uh, and the character of Captain Pike, regardless of which iteration he is, but uh, in particular Jeffrey Hunter. I mean, he was a uh, he was it was just great fighting the Kalor man. That's one of the greatest Star Trek scenes ever. <laughs> it's just like and dude shows I up also... with those teeth and the battle axe, and it's just like it is it is your you know life or death. <laughs> I just thought it was great. So, and the fact that Spock had emotions. Which uh, you know can set some fans off, but Spock has emotions in the cage. He doesn't have later. Well, Strange New Worlds wasn't around yet, so you know, we'll get to that later. But Spock has emotions. He smiles. He's emotional, and so they hadn't re- fully fleshed out what a Vulcan really is yet. So to see Leonard Nimoy emoting is really, really cool too. And, of course, Major Barrett Roddenberry is number one, is awesome. Um, so there, there's a lot in that, in that first episode, a lot of stuff that was changed between The Cage and well, uh, Man Trap was actually the first aired episode. But I think Where No Man Has Gone Before was actually the first filmed episode, but here or there. But you're right, Paul. It, it's really it's, it's, it's a lot of fun to go back and watch it. And I don't. I don't understand why they why they thought it wasn't Star Trek because it worked perfectly as the menagerie in in the new formula. So why they wouldn't have liked it? And as one of our fans had stated, you know how different would Star Trek be had they bought that original and not turned it down? You know, I think it would be much well. Different. well you know. I mean, it probably wouldn't be that different. It would just be different in terms of the personal interactions of the of the characters. So, you know, I they they have written slightly different stories, but um, it's hard to tell. Sorry, not to like 
take the mic here, but like there's just not quite enough information here to talk about chemistry between the crew because this is essentially a Pike by himself goes off and does something episode and you don't, you know, the very beginning you get a little bit of interaction with the crew on the bridge. Other than that, you have no idea how he interacts with the crew. The most information we have about how Pike interacts with the crew from the cage is actually the info we get from Phil Boyce when he comes into his um, quarters there with his portable bar, and he's like, uh, you know, <laughs> he's like, he's like, he's like, you know what? Um, drink this warm martini and let's talk about how you care about your crew more than you care about yourself, and you take care of your crew more than you take care of yourself, and that to me is the real magic of the cage because they set up that as what you were saying, Jim, about him kind of being like burnt out from the the war or, or the thing on Rigel 7. There's this idea that he's always thinking about somebody else before he thinks about himself. And I think that's probably Pike's number one defining quality, honestly. Like, I think that the difference between him and Kirk, um, you you could, I mean, you could sum it up in many, many ways. But one way that I might sum it up is to say that Kirk looks for a way to win, whereas Pike looks for a way to make sure that everybody's taken care of. Um, and there's a little bit of the winning thing because there's also the the side of uh, Pike here. I guess I'm going to keep the mic now, <laughs> where he it's says, "Good, you know, I love it when we just go back and forth." Yeah, That's he says, "You know, he says in this, um, there's a way out of any cage, and I'll find it." And I think that's another one of Pike's defining qualities, right? He's like, yeah. he's a guy that it doesn't matter how how down he is, how depressed he is, um, how bad things are going. Somehow he kind of finds a way to push forward. I think and, the word you're looking for, Eric, is he, he's a survivor. He's trying to survive, and so he does that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. He he does yeah. whatever he can to like keep keep moving the ball forward. Yeah, um, you never really see is there – I'm trying to – because I haven't had a chance to rewatch any of these this week, guys, right? So I'm just going off of memory, but haven't seen it like 150 million times, right? But do we ever see Pike as Jeffrey Hunter? Do we ever see him laugh one time? Um, I don't think so. No, we see him admit that he's like attracted to Vina in this episode, but we don't ever see him actually smile or really like enjoy anything. He's always he's no, always he, thinking. He did smile when he, he met Vina for the first time. Oh, you're right. And, he's looking um, down at her with the bedroom eyes. Yeah. Yeah. But he's not like laughing with the crew. He's not like laughing with his crew no. or anything. No, that's what I'm saying is like the crew interaction stuff is zero in this episode, more or less, aside from well, acknowledging that he's uncomfortable with women on the bridge, but number one's different. I know, right? Well, I, I mean, I, when I heard that, I was like, oh, man, was Gene Roddenberry actually thinking that number one was actually supposed to be an alien, you know, <laughs> and not human? I was like, with that, I was like, okay, so that's an interesting take on what Discovery did. Oh, not Discovery, sorry, uh, Strange New World converting the whole idea that she's not really human. So I was like, that's interesting. When I saw that, I just had to keep going back oh. and watch that particular scene because when she, her facial expression, she kind of like doubled look back at Pike it, yeah, she after did. he said that. And it almost made it sound like she was about to give away that she was not 
actually human kind of thing. I was like, was that originally planned by Gene John Bay? I was like, huh, that's, that's cool. kind of cool. I love that. Well, that's a great idea, David. Really pulled me into Pike is what the very first episode of season two of Discovery when he comes on the bridge and he puts his scores up and he says, what is it, the F I got in astral biology or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he asks the crew for a call out and he, he, he says every single crew member's name. And to me, that's a sign of respect because we never heard Kirk do that. We never heard Picard never did that. We never had a captain. We never had a leader acknowledge each and every one of his crew by name. And, and that I was like, wow, this guy gets it. This guy is cool because, you know, respect is, is earned. It's not bestowed. And, and the way he, the way he took over the bridge of a broken crew that had been betrayed and lost their confidence in their leader. And he got it back just by being human. And I, that, that stood out to me like, wow. I Wait, love Jim, so you're saying you're saying that Star Trek Discovery writers actually paid attention to establish canon about a character <laughs> when they put well, it? That's oh, so oh, weird, oh, man. Absolutely so not. Weird. Well, <laughs> well, well, now you're talking crazy, <laughs> Eric. Jeez. Yeah, come on. Slap that boy. <laughs> Next thing you're going to be saying is that they write for free and don't get paid. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, but... Let me throw in the let me throw in with the time crystals where he gets to see his future and get to see himself in that wheelchair which ties it directly in the menagerie in saying that actually did happen. That's right. So that we could sit there and say because we'll say, Oh well Pike whatever happened to Pike. But we know what's going to happen to Pike, and we're not deviating from what TOS did. We still admit there's something that's going to happen in the future. And you know, that's exactly. the weighed on him. It is. And it's and weighing on him. He's like the perfect um, like uh, Shakespearean tragedy character because it's like no matter what Pike does – He's always not only is he doomed to like be in that sort of physical shape at the end of the day, but you know even in this episode in the cage, we were just talking about the Rigel Seven thing. Then he's thrown literally right back into the horror that he just came from back in this episode when they take him on his little yeah. mental journey and he has to fight the what are they called the giant dudes? Sorry, Paul the Kaylor. Kaylor, yeah, again, yeah. So, um, so it's to me, Pike is like the. It's like Star Trek allegory for having shit thrown at you over and over and over again and still getting up and making it happen, like keeping the ball moving forward. And and, and the the episode, uh, the title escapes me, the episode where they remade The Balance of Terror. What what episode was that? Uh, We're talking about Strange New World? Yes, he goes back and gets the time crystal and tries to change the past and, and, and... wears the monster maroons and goes back and tells himself you can't change it because if you change it, Spock is going to be horribly mangled. Oh. What was that episode? You're talking quality, quality of mercy. mercy. Quality, quality of mercy. Quality of mercy. And he, he had to accept his fate at that point. And I thought, you know, for that mm-hmm. character, 
He's trying to save um, all those kids that died. He's trying to, I forgot the name of the character. There was one kid in particular in that episode, Ali Kasid Mahal or something. Something like that. He's trying to save that kid's life. And he wants to save that kid's life in the worst way. And he finds Hmm. out that I, I can't, I can't save his life without sacrificing others. And for a character like Pike, to come to that realization that no matter what I do, I can't save this person. You know, it's, it's gotta be really tough for him to, to come to grips with that, but he does, you know, he does. Yeah. I'm actually, the more and more I get into the whole Pike storyline from original series to discovery to strange in the world, I'm starting to realize that they really put a whole lot of time and effort into creating from what little they had to go based off of the cage and, and starting to make it seem like this is actually now my favorite captain throughout all of Star Trek history that we've seen so far. And just the way that they tied in bits and pieces with like in Discovery, you know, he visits goes back and visits the Telosians and um, the fact that he discovers the time crystal and the character itself, it just seems so much more better than three-dimensional captain. Yes, he has a full full background, a full yeah, he's not just that one guy in that one episode. (laughs) Well, I you know what though? You have to realize I haven't I I want to give uh, I want to give our guest Trexpert TJ an opportunity to jump in here because we're we're the talking heads and and uh, today is our guest. <laughs> we Trexpert. have a tendency to talk over everybody. And we have yeah, a you just got to jump in there, brother, because we'll just keep <laughs> on acting like you know, like you know, a bunch of drunken hooligans. So you got to just jump in, bro. <laughs> to jump in here, TJ, and uh, share your opinions on Captain Pike in the cage. Oh man. <laughs> no, um, it, it's it's hard to, sometimes because I'm so intrigued with a lot of what you guys are saying because it, it it helps kind of build what I was thinking of my perspective on on Pike, which is you know he, he's this he's this character that accepts his destiny. He doesn't necessarily challenge it, but what he's doing is making the journey to that destiny worth it. So when he, you know, when we see him in the cage and he starts out and he's, you know, very self-reflective and he's kind of realizing, you know, he might be unhappy with, you know, the same old, same old. And then, of course, like kind of, you know, recognizing, hey, I was forced into some mistakes, but I made them. And then all of a sudden, you know, seeing him seeing his fate and then going, you know what, I'm still going to do my job. I'm still going to do my duty and make the journey, make the end result count, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I also think, TJ, um, in the episode Such Sweet Sorrow, when the Enterprise gets the the uh, photon torpedo in the hull of uh, the episode where um, Admiral Cart- uh, Cartwell, Cornwell. Um, sacrif- Cornwell, Cornwell sacrifices herself, one of the good admirals, by the way, uh, sacrifices herself, and Captain Pike is like, well, 
you know, if my destiny is to end up in the wheelchair, then this missile cannot explode if I stay in the room and you leave. And that was an interesting ethical a conundrum right there. Well, yeah. it's, it's leveraging that like time knowledge thing, um, which is a very timey wimey thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because at the same uh, time, guys, I'm, you know, sorry. if the character, if if Pike knows that he cannot die, that that this is his destiny, then he becomes like you know immortal. He he can do anything because nothing can affect him. And at that point in time. You know, or the admiral says, like, no, you need to, you need to get out of here, and let me take care of this. And I was so grateful that they did that because it took that, that could have been potentially dangerous edge out of the character because now he's not going to be quite as, um, he's not going to be living on the edge because he feels that he can't be hurt. So I really liked the way they handled that in that episode, and they put that right to rest. I thought that well, was great. Let's see. Let's take a look at the cage, too, because you guys, all of you, hit it right at the gate. Is Sacrifice is in Pike's nature, he, and, but it's not sacrifice for the sake of it. He wants his to be meaningful. So when he, you know, in, in the cage, when he goes and he's like, hey, I will, I'll stay if you let my crew go. Like he sacrifices himself. He even is willing to stay for, you know, for, for Mina and kind of, you know, he, he's ready to take the hit to save somebody else. He, you know, he's, he might be flawed, but he's selfless enough to go. If, you know, if my taking this hit can, you know, make sure that somebody else can live their journey, he'll take the hit. Hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, you know, uh, oh, go ahead, brother. Go ahead. Would he have chosen number one or would he have chosen Colt? Because Colt Colt had the high sexual drive and attraction, but number one had the computer brain. And, like, when they gave him the choice, he never got to answer the question because they got out before he could pick who he was going to pick. And when Colt asks him at the end, who would you have picked, he didn't answer the question either. (laughs) I thought that was funny. Yeah, we'll leave that one alone, bro. So, yeah. <laughs> What's fun to think about, too, is what I, a little kind of trivia thing that I think is fun to think about, right, that I always enjoy is um, if you remember in original series episode Mirror, Mirror, right, we find out in that episode that Kirk, he was able to ascend to command of the Enterprise because he assassinated Pike. I mean, they, that's that's canon in the mirror. If you don't mind me making a canon statement, I know that's huh. kind of ironic, right? But, it is, yeah. But, <laughs> but I just love that reference. It's like, canon you know, is fine. It's all right. Within you know, it's it's fine. Like uh, it's fine. Like um, like underwear is fine. You don't want to wear it all the time, right? But you know, every now and then. <laughs> but it's useful. <laughs> but it can be helpful in certain situations. But you know, do you want to live in it twenty four seven? I don't think so. But uh, but yeah. Um, so I think that's a cool thing there too. And then we got to talk a little bit about um, about the the JJ verse, if you will. Yeah. Right. Because I think that's important to spend the or you know if you want the Kelvin timeline as it typically gets referred to, right? But but we uh, do see Pike over there as portrayed by the great Bruce Green- Greenwood. 
right? And it's interesting because they kept the wheelchair thing. They kept the fact that he was injured, but it wasn't nearly as traumatic of an injury in terms of the way it's depicted, right? He's still able to speak. He's still able to get around, express himself. And then I think in uh, the second movie in Into Darkness, he's only using a cane instead of a wheelchair there, right? So he's just mm-hmm. like, he's, he's, it's not as bad of a thing, but it's a whole alternate reality so you can get along with whatever, right? But, but Bruce Greenwood, I don't know if any of you guys have watched uh, House of Usher on Netflix mm-hmm. or not, but mm-hmm. man, that guy acts up a firestorm in that show. Really, really great actor. And so it's cool to back, go back, you know, uh, you know, over a, you know, a dozen years and see him in something like this, which is just wild. So really cool to see all those different facets of how Pike's been depicted. And now he's probably more popular than ever because he's like a household name now because of the success and, of Stranger you know, Worlds. You're right, yeah. Paul, because in, in the Kelvin universe, in the Kelvin <laughs> movies, Pike is is the mentor for Kirk. Pike is the one yeah. that, to Kirk. Pike is the one that guides Kirk. Uh, Pike is pretty much, you know, like his mentor, the like the you know his guiding the light. Figure, yeah. Which, which yeah, is, he's like encouraging him. He's like join Starfleet. Right. Yeah. He's, he's like, the one that goes out to the bar and finds him, you know, beat up and bloodied, and says, "Hey, dude, like you need to join Starfleet and be a hero like your father." He's the one that gets him into Starfleet and we don't get to see that in the prime universe because when we meet Pike, he's already in his wheelchair. So we, we don't get any of that interaction. And I think that's really a great part of the character that they show us in the Kelvin movies. Yeah. Also the fact that uh, Kelvin versus uh, Pike did not get the time crystals like they did in the original. So makes me wonder if it wasn't for Burnham in the original and it kind of like bought off into a different timeline, I suppose you could say like an alternate universe, would Burnham ever actually in the Kelvin timeline? Because if it wasn't for Burnham in the original, Pike would have never gotten the time crystals. So to me, I was like, huh, that's kind of interesting to think about. Well, there's no crossover between Burnham and the Kelvin timeline. Well, no. I mean, yeah, because Burnham didn't even exist when those movies were made. No, yeah, exactly. No. <laughs> yeah, so it's yeah. just that's all. That's all. Uh, that's all retroactive, man. That's all. It's all. Yeah. You know, it's. Uh, it's still fun to that's, what like to call, that's what I like to call. That's what I like to call bar cannon. Yeah, it's just like you know. Well, well, you know, what if that happened? And uh, you know, I. You know, yeah. Fun you know, well, to consider. Fun to, to consider for sure. Yeah, go ahead, Charles. I want to go. I want to go back to something David said. And he talked about how rich the character is. <clears throat> One thing when they write series like Star Trek, and I think they really did a strong job of it, is the writer's room puts together a book that describes who the characters are. And I think when we first started in Discovery Season 2, they had sort of a page written down as the series went on I, as the series went on that season got through I think that description of Pike got more complex deeper and deeper and more character driven that by the time we got to Strange New Worlds we got a very rich very good captain that we were we were cheering we wanted to see more of him remember the fact we didn't we didn't expect strange new worlds 
to and it's like everybody's like we want pike we want pike and you kind of wonder if maybe discovery they were planning on offshooting pike that they realized well, I, they had such a gold mine in there that they needed think, to do that series. I think, Charles, that what they did was Pike was such a popular character on Discovery. I don't <clears> think I, – I, and this is just me. I don't think they planned on making the, the spinoff at that point in time. But when they started doing the short treks and introducing those characters on the short treks, because don't forget we do get to see Pike – in the short treks as well. And when they introduced yep. the character on the short treks, that's when the that's when they said, wait a minute, wait, we got something here. And I think when they tested the character on short treks without the discovery backdrop, just Pike and number one and Spock as themselves to see how they could carry it. That's when they said, wow, we, we, we got something here. And that's, I yeah. think is when to make Strange New World. I think they were thinking maybe with when when he was on Discovery, but I think it was the Short Trek's popularity that said, yep, we, we can fly with this. We can do it. And that's when they did it. Because don't yeah, forget, I, a lot of people and, get Short Trek. And I actually want to bring up one more one more pike that we don't bring up very often. And I think we got a lot of character development there. And Eric, I think, will agree with this one. The Enterprise incident. We got a mm-hmm. real strong dose of Pike and how unconfident he was at times. Mm-hmm. Unsure, thinking of giving up. We saw a lot of that in that episode. And I think that push is saying we got a stronger Pike in Discovery because he was getting his confidence back. Like, Absolutely. Even if it was drawn out, it was a good novel and a focus on that crew. Absolutely. Yeah, it was a great book. That Pike was only in 15 episodes, 15 of Discovery, and two short treks, The Cage and The Menagerie. And out of all of that, they made Strange New Worlds, which is only 10 episodes each. And he's still one of the most, I feel, one of the most fleshed out and popular captains. And he has probably the least screen time of Kirk, Picard, Cisco, Janeway, all of them. And he's such a strong, well-written, powerful, thoughtful character. You know? Hmm. He's very mm-hmm. well fleshed, very well written. And yeah. uh, fans loved him, even though his screen time. I mean, a lot of people were complaining in <laughs> season two of Strange New Worlds, he wasn't even in the first episode. Remember, they had the uh, the whole court thing, and he wasn't even there. He was off trying to find a lawyer in that first episode, The Broken Circle. He didn't mm-hmm. even, you know, he wasn't even in that one. No, that was season two. Or season that two. That was season two. And then, uh, he, in in the broken circle, he wasn't even in it, and in the court one, he was only in it briefly. So, and he's still one of the most beloved captains. So, you know, I think what they're doing with him is something that the fans want. They're it's doing true. it right. And 
didn't Coachman say that it, if that the, it was the fans who brought up uh, brought upon the Strange New World? Because I thought he said something like that in an interview once, where he said it was if it wasn't for the fans, Strange New World wouldn't have existed. So. Well, yeah. I think, I think people were because <coughs> so, yeah. so many people liked what kind of captain he was in Discovery. I think that's what and it I was. Think mix of, yeah. uh, I think the mix of Discovery and the Short Trek fans were out pushing, saying, "We want a Strange New World series." Well, and honestly, we Discovery, fight. yeah, and Discovery kind of proved that we could tell another prequel story, and people would would be okay with it, would actually watch it. And so yeah. people saw Pike and they said, okay, well, this is even more interesting to me because it's the prequel before Kirk and I love Kirk and I want to know what happened before Kirk in a more detailed mm-hmm. way. So, so can we, before we stop this segment, I think one thing that we should talk about real quick are, and not in a nitpicky way, but just uh, in a kind of like overall way, what are some of the big differences that we see between Jeffrey Hunter's Pike and uh, Anson Mount's Pike. Are there big differences? I mean, I think Anson Mount spent a lot of time trying to model himself, but not everything is modeled. So, you know, does anybody have any comments on that uh, front? Not that I can think of. I'd say comparing Jeffrey Hunter's Pike to Anson Mount's Pike? Yeah, I'm just curious because, uh, you know. I would say it's really interesting because they're both – I think they're both really products of the times that they were made in. Yeah. Right? I think that's the main thing, right? It's just yep. like, okay, you, it's really tempting to just go, oh, you know, uh, Jeffrey Hunter's Pike is, you know, the lantern-jawed, irredoutable, you know, like, you know, <laughs> totally. freaking never smile, just like, you yep. know, I am the hero, like the pick or whatever, right? Because yep. he seems very humorless, right? But that is like kind of the trope of the day, right? He is the freaking grab the ray gun, do the thing. I'll stare at you so hard your forehead will crack, right? I mean, he's a tough guy, right? He's and you know they humanize him by making him, you know, uh, you know, be succumbing to foibles of, of fear of failure, right? Which is why yeah, the, the character works story. so well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, but you know, I mean, but you compare him to is is everything that's going on with you know Pike on the on the new show with Anson Mount. He's so likable. Right. I mean, he calls his crew by their first names. Nobody Uh does that in Star Trek. Right. You don't see that. You know, uh, you know, Picard might call Riker Will every now and then. Right. But that's about it. Right. Or Beverly, you know, but only like when they're off duty. But you don't call your, you know, your crew by their first names on the bridge. But he does all the time. He's very much he wants to be an accessible captain. This new Pike. He's he's informal. Uh, I think tremendously so, and he uh, and he's and he goes against the rules a lot in terms of you know I mean the decisions he makes that he feels from his code are more for the greater good you know he'll steal a starship and do whatever is necessary or you know avoid doing something that uh, that you know he thinks he's going to get in trouble from April and everyone back at Starfleet for doing right because he's just he's 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 more uh, I think. Uh, He's more willing to just be driven by his own personal code and what he feels is going to be, protect the people that he's responsible for. And he's very sentimental about that. So I think that's an interesting way to separate the two characters, or, or the two interpretations 
of yeah. the same character. How does that yeah. fly with you, man? Does that seem legit? Totally. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. Um, I think the product of the times is kind of the right way to frame that uh, outlook, I think, on the two portrayals, because what they did back in the day was they tried to say, okay, here's our strong hero. We're going to present him as strong hero who can, you know, break out of any cage. And we're just going to kind of tell you on the side that he's a big softy and that he really cares about his crew. Whereas Strange New Worlds is like, no, dude, it's the 21st century. We're going to show you that he cares about his crew because the proof is in the pudding. So, yeah, yeah and I totally really agree. it's interesting. Like if, if, you know, they end up doing, you know, I mean, it's, it's interesting how, you know, like, you know, you know, like Charles is saying, right. You know, for a while we didn't know we were going to get this thing, right. We're, you know, they're kind of just waiting to see fan reaction, right. Kind of, with, yeah. you know, the way things are for like Star Trek legacy right now. Right. It might happen, might not, but it's just right. if everyone's really active on social, better chance of it happening. Right. Because yep. it's all about their, they pay attention to this stuff quite well, but it's also very interesting to see, like, you know, I think we're in that same hypothetical could be maybe universe with uh, Paul Wesley's Kirk. Uh-huh. Right. I mean, we may get a full blown reboot in another three or four years of a brand new early days Kirk and company Star Trek original series, which if done well, could be really interesting, but he's not going to do Shatner because, you know, kind of, let's, you know, let's be honest. I mean, you know, um, he doesn't need little, to. He doesn't need he doesn't to. Well, no, we don't need a guy myself, but it's just like, but you know, the Kirk character is a little bit dated and misogynistic in some ways. It's like, hello, Lieutenant, your gluteus maximus looks wonderful today. I mean, you know, it's just like that's not going to fly the same way on uh, in you know 2025 or whenever that show gets greenlit, right? But it'd be interesting. But I think the audience is there for it, right? And where like a few years ago, people would say, oh, reboot original series, new Kirk. I don't know. But look at the reaction this new guy that played Scotty got this year on Strange New Worlds, right? People dug that guy, like, big time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, it's like, I mean, he was great, right? And yep. so it's, it's and, and wow, Tech is really growing into Spock and making him just, that guy can act. He's a terrific actor. Mm-hmm. He's growing into character. So <laughs> and you, know, you just got to wonder, and, you know, man. Speaking you, of Spock, though, uh, speaking of Spock, Paul, I think something that, that's pretty awesome here is we are getting to see why Spock risks his entire career and steals the Enterprise for Captain Pike. Uh, great point, brother. Good point. Yeah. Good tool, really solid. Yeah. Yeah, they because they've got that history, and of course he's going to do it. Absolutely. That's right. a really, really excellent point. So now we're seeing Strange New Worlds, and we're seeing why Spock because everybody associates Spock with Kirk, because that's what we all grew up watching, right? Kirk and Spock, mm-hmm. Kirk and Spock, that yeah. that brotherhood that they have. But people forget that before Kirk, there was Pike, and Spock risked everything to get mm-hmm. Pike back to Telosia. And now we're seeing on Strange New Worlds why Spock was willing to do that for Captain Pike, and that's a whole other side of the character that we never got to see. So I think that's great as well. Yeah, I, I think a lot of the stuff that we see in the original series, as far as like the menagerie and the arcades, are all starting to tie together with the Strange New World. And um, if, if it goes on for another two or three years, I think we're going to get a lot more explanation of certain things that a lot of the other things kind of like left out, you know, so mm-hmm. 
So, TJ, what, what do you think? Do you want to add, add anything to the conversation as, as a guest truck expert? Yeah. Um, I, I was just about to, to jump in and, and say I, I feel personally that Hunter's Pike was two different evolutions of Pike in the same episode. Like, if you, if you look at the first half, he's very... Um, he's very self-reflecting. He has regrets. He's uh, very, you know, not just, you know, emotional, but very, you know, intellectual about it. He's, he's analyzing himself. And then you get to the Telosians and you get to that particular trauma that he's going through. I mean, he is being tortured in, a very different way, you know, and all of a sudden he has to be reactionary. Like he's, you know, he goes off the handle and by doing that and seeing the surprise in the lead Telosian's face, he realizes that that primitive emotion, you know, or primitive mentality is a, is a block to the Telosians. So that split second reaction gave him a a strategy towards the tail end. And then when they brought, you know, you know, number one and, you know, the other you know, the other uh, crew member onto this you know, into the situation, he had to react again because at that point it was the shock of, you know, his crew being dragged into this when it was only him, you know, he was, he was all right dealing with that, knowing he was the only one, you know, and then now with him being a true captain and being responsible for his crew, now he's got to go back to trying to find the mental balance of, well, now I got to pour through all this hate and try to make sure that he can't, you know, get a sense of what we're trying to, you know, what we're trying to do and what we're trying to, you know, no, no pun completely intended, but discover. Huh. And uh, um, so he, he does. He has those, very, those two major evolutions. And then since you asked to compare it to Anson's Pike, I feel like Anson over the course of Discovery had a very direct I don't want to say similarity, but I, I want to say continuation of Hunter's Pike. Like you could you could tell where the inspiration was coming in, and then the brilliant way they wrote him over Discovery and Strange New Worlds shows the the compassionate Pike, the 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 Pike with a you know dry sense of humor and who has this this bond that is completely different from Bones, McCoy, you know, Bones, McCoy, Spock, and Kirk to this very familial dynamic between, you know, Pike number one and Spock. So it's, there's some differences, but I, I don't want to think of it as differences so much of a continued evolution of that character. Huh. Yeah. Cool. 
Yep. Well, I think one of the other big differences is that they are two different guys, so. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks, David. Thanks for keeping yeah. it real, man. <laughs> well, I think, I think like Paul hinted at, that one of the biggest differences is Jeffrey Hunter's character was written in 1964 and had a different opinions than Anson yeah. Mount's character, who's written in 2024. So, yeah, so, it's like if you go back and look, there's not a lot of Jeffrey Hunter comedies, right? I mean, he's right. ass because he's like, the, you know, he's a tough guy, right? He's like, the, he's got the steely blue eyes. I mean, he played Jesus for crying out loud. He know? did. So, yep. so it's just, there you go. But, uh, so but it's interesting. On a scale of one to ten, our Facebook fans scored an 8.3. What would you score the cage if you were scoring it one to ten? Who are you asking, Jim? Oh, Sorry. TJ. TJ, got it. Oh, oh okay. Thanks. Uh, objectively, I would put it probably closer to probably closer to a nine. Um, I, I think it's a very intellectual episode, but a very, you know, at times very dark episode. For for a purpose, I think it gives us not just Pike, you know, and his his evolution. You know, I mean, I say that, but it, it, you you go through that episode and you definitely see it. Um, it gives us the the dynamic between the crew, and it, you know, like you said, you know, there's a reason why Spock goes as far as he does. Um, I think the acting was absolutely superb. I think the Telosians were written very malevolently, but then all at the same time, they end up with a slight redeemable quality. Um, I, I really don't have what I would consider negatives that would drop my score down. I just think that for that episode at the time, and considering it was unaired, I really wish it had gotten aired, even if Kirk still took over, because that particular crew brought something to the table, and then clearly we see what Kirk's legacy has become due to Pike. So I would rate it a nine. A nine. All right. That's cool. That's cool. How about you, Charles? What do you think? One to ten. Uh, I think I'm going to go with an 8.5 on this one. 8.5 from on it. That's cool. All right. How about you, David? Well, I definitely would originally going to say eight. But before I go any further, I do want to mention that I thought it was really interesting in the cage. Uh, Pike... <laughs> Even though he referred to uh, uh, what's her name, Una, as number one, which makes the title of a first officer, right? So I would have figured that she was, but in the cage, she referred her to as lieutenant, which I thought was a really weird change. But considering that there was a timeline gap, of course, she probably made number one uh, first officer in the strange world. So. I thought that was a very interesting uh, take on uh, Rank. But um, uh, as far as we've been talking more and more, originally, like I said, I was going to make it an 8. But I'm actually starting to lean towards uh, 
what TJ was just saying that I'm, I'm probably going to be giving this either a nine or like a 9.5. So I'll go in the middle and give it a 9.3. 9.3. Oh. All right. How about you, Paul? Oh, gentlemen, gentlemen, you, you make me sad. You make me sad. <laughs> anything, we have to give you, you're going to be giving us a point. Anything you're less gonna... than a, anything less than a 10 is sacrilege. Sacrifice, <laughs> in my opinion. This is like you know, it is like we we do not uh, we do not uh, walk past the Great Pyramid of Giza and say, well, you know, uh, it doesn't have a mailbox slot, so screw that. I'm taking off. I mean, it's, please have some hubris, have some have some have some dignity, have some respect. Absolutely a ten. Otherwise, you're whistling past the graveyard and tempting the gods. I would give it a 15 just to make up for the rest of you. But, uh, <laughs> okay, you can have my point. Absolutely. I, I, it, it, it's, like, it's, like, it's like, you know, like Forbidden Planet, right? There would be no Star Trek without Forbidden Planet. That's inarguable, right? It is, it is basically the template, you know? And there would be no Star Trek without the cage. It, it, it's just, it casts a really long shadow. It set everything in motion. It is the template. It is where everything else comes from. Those designs, those archetypes, those tropes. It is absolutely uh, historic. So for me, absolutely a 10. A 10. All right. And that, and this is from Paul. Wow. How about you, Eric? Uh, yeah, I hundred uh, percent agree with Paul. I actually had written down here. I was going to give it a 10, uh, even before that most excellent summary. But, yeah, I agree with what you said. It's as, as the template and as the thing that, like, became the thing that became all the other things, I think it deserves that that kind of spot in the upper echelons. And there's not too many episodes that I would rate a 10, and none other that are first episodes of a season or, like, inaugural uh, episodes. So this is my only inaugural 10 episode of of all of us in star trek well i got to give it a 10 as well but i got to give it a 10 for the pulsing veins in the heads of the telosians yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that, when i saw that it blew my mind back in a day i was like oh my god their veins are pulsing in their heads uh, that was the <laughs> coolest thing i ever saw and it just i always remember the pulsing veins in the telosian heads it was just so cool but i think that i think that it embodies star trek i think the cage is what star trek is um it's very intellectual very inward reflecting it makes you think and to me that's star trek and the fact that this episode was never aired was never part of star trek at all until they cut it into the menagerie they cut it up and made it into star trek part of star trek history that became a part of Star Trek history and history, you know, and it's, it's, hmm. it's a very unique place to be. And I love it. I love it for that fact. So I'm giving it a 10. So there so you I got it. a quick question about the cage episode. Do we, I'm pretty sure you guys know, but um, for people who don't, do we know who made it possible to be put onto air? They never aired it. It, it never was on the air. Well, no, like um, in 1991, you mentioned that it was finally put on air. Oh, Do we yeah. know who did it? In 1991, it was released on, on LaserDisc, which TJ uh... had mentioned. And I had a LaserDisc machine, and I had to run out because I wanted to have a piece of Star Trek history, see it as it was meant to be. So 
It was a release on Laserdisc. I think it came out on VHS maybe as well. Yeah. I was really I, lucky, uh, man, when I was like uh, in high school, right? This is like in <laughs> the 70s. Right? But in the early, early, <laughs> early days of, of conventions and right here in Portland, we had a Star Trek convention and uh, the guest of honor was Gene Roddenberry. And the, the thing that was really cool is that he brought uh, the original episode of The Cage. This is before home video. There was, huh. you know, there was really no, I think they were just getting started on like beta, right? But VHS wasn't even a thing. And he showed it, right? It was a screening and he oh, showed wow. it like a movie. And we got to all, you know, we'll just sit there, you know, goggle-eyed, just watching it, you know, and it was, a, you know, see the little differences from here and there from the menagerie. That was a real cool early experience for me that just like, oh, one of the reasons I'll revere it forever is getting to see it in those circumstances was just tremendous. Nice. Yeah. Cool. So as far as I know, David, I don't think the cage ever, ever showed on television. Oh. I think the streaming services picked it up. Until streaming came along. I think they showed it on the sci-fi channel once. I don't know if you guys remember the sci-fi channel. Hmm. Yes. But I think they had like a special (laughs) holiday thing where they got permission somehow and they showed it one time. I I do remember that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they might have. Well, it's interesting. It's interesting that I look at my date of when episodes were released, and I actually have a release date cage of October 1st, 1988. Hmm. So there may have been like a VHS release or something. Then um, not long after uh, uh, Next Generation aired. Hmm. Cool. Next Generation aired in 87, and 88, we got stage. That would have been, in the, what, the 20th anniversary or something like that. That's what I remember seeing Probably it. something around then, yeah. So, anyways, there you go, guys, our conversation on the cage and Jeff. And I want to say thank you, CJ, for hanging out with us tonight. I hope you had a good time. Oh, no, I had a, a great time, honestly, and uh, hopefully, if y'all will, uh, I'd love to come back. I hope you'll have me back. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We we had a great time having you, and it was, it was great to talk to you again. It's been a while. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Maybe you, I'll swing by. I love you. Give me a tour. I'm sorry? Maybe I'll swing by the the set tour and you can give me a tour. That'd be great. Um, speaking of, because I I know we mentioned uh, the the Shatner. Um, did you want me to talk about that real quick? Yeah, sure. So it was you know it was very surreal because you know I I never met Shatner before. Like I honestly. I was a little nervous going into it. It's my, you know, my first, uh, what they call the VIP event uh, on staff. And I was pretty much given the heads up that uh, every version of chaos it could possibly be, just be prepared because it was going to be. (laughs) Um, And what I got to see and experience was, nothing short of life-changing, and, and I mean that in a very positive way, because 
uh, I, I saw not just people who were dressed up and, and in starful uniforms, and I'm pretty sure I saw Gorn in there at one point or another. Um, <laughs> I, I saw, like, I wanted to say friends. I mean, you know, these people didn't know each other, and yet it was everybody interacting as if they, they did. And that was just the start. And then I get there Saturday morning, which was when Shatner showed up. And I was told that I would be joining in and, and, you know, helping, you know, make sure that people were, you know, in there and listening to, you know, what Bill had to say. And to hear that man at 92 recounting detail for detail how he not only filmed the series, but just his emotions behind everything. And then we get to the end and he does his bridge Q&A and I got to witness this 92-year-old icon talking to people, having a legitimate conversation, asking questions of the people who were there and wanting to learn. I mean, he's been on this earth for 92 years and he still wanted to learn. And by the way, that man at 92 could still throw a punch. (laughs) I got to witness that. And all I got to say is it made me not only proud, but happy again to be a, a fan of Star Trek. And, and I realized that, you know, I get to even remotely be a small part of helping people get to walk through, you know, very, re- very well, meticulously recreated sets and see people who are, well, you know, I've, I've seen hardcore fans of Trek and I've seen people who were <laughs> dragged along for the ride and the people who were brought along who had no clue what Star Trek was started becoming more interested in seeing what was going on and, and you know, that's, very humbling, guys, you know? It, it is very much. Well, TJ, I just have one question. Did Shatner actually answer the question, what does God need with a starship? <laughs> no, he, he, he no. never answered that question. <laughs> he never answered that? Um, okay. That's cool. He, he brought it up. He, he he referenced it several times, but he never answered the damn question. All right. Well, that's cool. That's cool. So, anyways, TJ, we're going to move on to our birthday section of the show. And so I just want to say thank you for hanging out and sharing your stories with us and uh, talking with us about Pike and about the cage. And it was a lot of fun uh, to chat with you again. So thank you so much, TJ. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thank you, guys. It was a lot, you know, a lot of fun, and I'm glad we got to reconnect there, uh, 
Jim. I mean, especially with the fact that you were responsible for my first viewing of both the cage and the menagerie at your shop. So the fact that we can, you know, kind of have a semi-reunion tonight is pretty epic. Thank you, guys. Huge. That is pretty cool. Thank you so much, TJ. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. All right, guys. So now it's time for Star Trek birthdays. That was not a Klingon song. Okay, Grumpy Wharf, that's cool. All right, guys, we always start off our Star Trek birthdays by, sadly enough, remembering those members of our Star Trek family who are no longer with us. And for that, we turn to Eric. Yeah, Jim, this week we're going to remember five members of our Star Trek community who have gone before us. The first is actor Robert Simons. Uh, Robert Simons was the actor who portrayed uh, Vedic Porta in the Star Trek Deep Space Nine four-season episode Ascension. Uh, Robert had an extremely distinguished theater career through the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and then made the transition to film in 1973, of course, when he played uh, Dr. Taney in the acclaimed 1973 movie The Exorcist. Um, Did a number of television roles after that, and uh, if you were a child in the 80s, you probably saw him on something. I mean, he was on MASH, Quantum Leap, uh, Charlie's Angels, all, all those shows, so... Robert Simons uh, would have had a birthday here uh, this week. Happy birthday to Robert. Happy birthday as well to Malachi Throne. Malachi Throne was the actor from New York who appeared in three episodes of the original series and two episodes of Star Trek. Uh, He provided the voice for the Talosian Keeper and appeared as Commodore Mendez. Uh, and then uh, the keeper part of his recordings was electronically altered so that it didn't exactly sound like him, but, uh, but it was in there. You could hear it. Uh, anyway, Malachi not only uh, did that stuff in Star Trek, but he was actually Gene Roddenberry's first choice for the role of Dr. Phil Boyce, believe it or not. Um, but he did turn down that role because he didn't want to play the third man next to the hero and his sidekick. Uh, presumably, I guess that's maybe Pike in number one. Uh, but yeah, interesting decision. Uh, Throne expressed his interest in playing Spock, but Leonard Nimoy, of course, got that uh, gig. So um, he eventually got the other parts that he got. So I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, two years later is when he played Mendez uh, for The Menagerie. But Malachi Throne does have over 100 film and television credits, uh, including both acting and voiceover work to his credits. So happy birthday uh, to Malachi. Happy birthday as well to Nicholas Coster. Nicholas Coster was the actor who played Vice Admiral Haftel in the Star Trek Next Generation third season episode, The Offspring. And before you uh, ask Jim, uh, I'm going to put him on the naughty list. He's a naughty admiral. I don't, I don't really care for him. Uh, but, but Nicholas Coster was an extremely prolific actor, uh, has over 170 television movie credits to his name, probably best known for his soap opera work uh, back in the day. He was an Emmy, an Emmy Award-nominated uh, character uh, on Santa Barbara, um, uh, where he played the same character from 84 to 88, and then again from 1990 to 1993. 
appeared in lots of other things, appeared on Facts of Life. Remember him? Yeah, he was David Warner, the millionaire father of Blair Warner on the Facts of Life. Uh, interesting thing about Nicholas Coster, he actually had uh, interactions with a bunch of Star Trek captains outside of Star Trek. In 1978, he and Kate Mulgrew had roles in the epic miniseries The Word. Uh, and then the following year, he was actually on Mrs. Columbo, if you remember that uh, spinoff back in the day. In 1983, he made a guest appearance on T.J. Hooker, of course, with William Shatner, and then uh, went on to appear with Scott Bakula on an episode of Mr. and Mrs. Smith in 1996. So Nicholas Coster, lots of little uh, crossovers here and there with Star Trek, uh, and also a very respected and revered and prolific actor. Happy birthday, Nicholas. Happy birthday as well to Karen Landry. She was the actress who played the Vorgan Azure in the Star Trek Next Generation third season episode, Captain's Holiday. Outside of Star Trek, she's definitely best known probably for her recurring role as Mira White during the first three seasons of St. Elsewhere, a fantastic television show from the early 80s. Several television series, uh, you know, MASH, Highway to Heaven, uh, you can look her up, uh, see what she did. She shared an Independent Spirit Award nomination for co-writing the screenplay to the 1988 comedy Patty Rocks, in which she also played the title role, and then did a couple of uh, television movies and a couple other screen appearances along the way. Happy birthday, and lots of love going out to Karen Landry. And finally, on our remembrance list, we have actor Ted Knight. Ted Knight, uh, we lost him way too early at the age of 62. He voiced the part of Carter Winston in the animated series first season episode, The Survivor. Uh, he did not receive screen credit at the time, however, which is kind of interesting. And he's definitely best known for being the buffoonish newscaster Ted Baxter on the Mary Tyler Moore show back in the early 70s. It was on Close for Comfort, if you remember that show from the 80s. Oh, and eventually yeah. did appear in Caddyshack as Caddyshack. well. And, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> We're waiting. Yeah, he, <laughs> he's the I judge in Caddyshack. That's right. Yep. <laughs> That's right. So uh, his birthday was today, guys. He was born in 1923. So that means that if we still had Ted Knight with us today, today would be his 100th birthday, which I think is pretty darn cool. So happy birthday, Ted Knight. We do miss you. Lost back in 1986. And I'm going to pass this flaming birthday candle over to Charles. Charles? Unmute. Okay. Unmute. <laughs> okay. Start off a happy birthday to Golden Brooks, who played Alicia Travers in Star Trek Enterprise's fourth season episode, Stormfront. Then. Gauthier, who played Sam Lavelle in Star Trek's Next Generation 7th season episode, Lower Decks. Happy birthday to Mark Robert Brown, a child actor who portrayed Don Lydon in Star Trek's original series episode, and the children shall lead. Didn't spend a lot of time in Hollywood at that time. I think he's got like five credits to his name. I'm sure he moved on to something else. Happy birthday to Jim Malley, who played Ensign Esmar in the third season episode of Picard. And happy birthday to Alex Knapp, 
American actress who provide the voice of Enterprise's computer and Star Trek's Strange New Worlds for 12 episodes. Paul, who's on your list? All right, brother. Well, thank you, Charles. We got all kinds of folks that we still have to say happy birthday to. Let's get rolling and move it on down the line. First of all, I think it's hilarious, and it's one of those things that you just sometimes it's easy to forget, that uh, famed comedian uh, Sarah Silverman <laughs> was on a Voyager third season episode, a couple of them back to back, Future's End and Future's End Part 2. But um, Sarah Silverman, the great, hilarious, um, unfiltered Sarah Silverman, played Rain Robinson on those two episodes of Voyager. So go back and check that out if you got uh, Paramount Plus dialed up tonight. It's pretty cool to be able to see back in the day, right, before she was quite not quite as ubiquitous as she is now, um, uh, that she was out there uh, – Taking all kinds of jobs, including uh, including Star Trek, which is cool. Happy birthday goes out to Andre Dai Kim, who plays Chief Kyle in the first season of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. A little different take on the character than uh, we've seen in the old school track. Happy birthday to actress Vanessa Smythe, who played Harper on the Strange New Worlds second season episode, one of our favorites here on the show, Under the Cloak of War, which is just an excellent episode. Happy birthday to Eugene Clark, played Commander Chiv in Strange New World's second season episode, Ad Astra Per Aspera, which is a great, great episode. We have a lot of Strange New World stuff going on in this segment here today. And then, happy birthday as well to Canadian actress Samora Smallwood, who played Lieutenant Amin in the Discovery second season episode, Such Sweet Sorrow, Such Sweet Sorrow, Part 2, as well as the Star Trek Short Treks episode Q and A. Passing it over to Uncle Jim. Well, we're almost done. We've only got a few more here. And, of course, I saved the Klingons for last. So we want to say happy birthday to Ella Gross, the Korean-American child model and actress who portrayed a young version of Soji Asha in Star Trek Picard first season episode, The Impossible Box. We also want to say happy birthday and Joe True to Eduardo Roman, the actor who played Vulcan number one, the mind meld Vulcan, in Star Trek Picard's second season episode, Mercy. We had him here on the podcast, and he was a lot of fun to talk to. Big Star Trek fan. Go to trektalking.com, look up that episode, um, at that podcast, and give it a listen. He was a lot of fun. We also want to say happy birthday to Leon Russell, who played um, Commander-in-Chief Bill in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, and Admiral Todman in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, third season episode, The Die is Cast. And Eric, Admiral Todman, where would you put him on your list? Ooh, that's a good one. I didn't have the one. You know, Jim, I'm sorry. I don't have him ready to go. I'd have to remember what he's all about in that episode. It's been a little while. Yeah. I, I think I would put him in the evil column, would personally. Yeah. yeah, he wants to, he wants to wipe out the Dominion. He allies with the Cardassians and the Romulans, and he's. he's oh, I do remember he's, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah, he's kind of like. Yeah. yeah, he's kind of like Doherty, where he's doing what he thinks he needs to do to win the war, but it's absolutely shady. 
Yeah. So it's hard to say, like, it depends on your perspective, I guess, on those types of guys as to whether they're good or bad. But, uh, but I, I tend to put them in the evil category for sure. Naughty list. I definitely would. And I told you guys I had some Klingons. Well, here they are. I want to say Kapla, a hearty Kapla, to Brian Bonsall. And who is Brian Bonsall? He's the former child actor who played Alexander Rojenko in seven episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. And last on my list, sticking with the, with the, uh, the whole uh, theory of family members, we have Tony Todd, who portrayed Worf's brother Kern. And this is a shocker in only four episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine Four. Now, guys, doesn't it seem like Kern was like a much more uh, prolific character than only four episodes? Doesn't it seem like he was there a lot more? Uh, yeah, he's just, he's just great, dude. The, the, the first time we meet him, and I think it's the first time we see him, and he does he's, he's the dinner scene where he's just, you know, yeah. gnawing away at, like, octopus leg and <laughs> just insulting everybody, and just he's got no filter, and he's just uh, he's super arrogant. I mean, Tony Todd's the man. He's, uh, he's yeah. a big genre guy. He's in tons of movies and stuff. He's just such a great dude. Yeah, but it just seems like um, he also he also played um, – grown-up Jake Sisko as well in an episode. But it, to me, it just seems like when when I saw that he was only in four episodes as Kern, it blew my mind because Kern is one of those characters that you, you just never forget. He's He always seems yeah. to be there, but he, well, he really he isn't. Was part of a, yeah, he was part of an arc, right? He's introduced, and then later he's part of that multi-episode arc all about, you know, worse familial honor and stuff, which I think are hard-hitting episodes. So that's why we probably remember him, because they're just really good episodes. Yeah, he's in all those, you know, he's in the, the Klingon Civil War episodes, he's in the Gowron episodes, you know, um, then he goes to Deep Space Nine and Worf rips out his memory and turns him into someone else. Um, so, yeah, he's he's always around. So, happy birthday and kapla to Tony Todd. Well, guys, that wraps up our birthdays for the week. And, uh, Paul, do we have some time to do a quick story? I think we do, brother. We've got like about uh, seven minutes left. Um, do you want me to uh, take lead on this first story that's on the uh, on the docket? Go right there. Yeah, jump right into it because that's very uh, relevant to the case. All right, man. I will do so uh, b- real briefly here. But I think most fans know, old school fans know, um, you see that logo come up, right, on the original series episodes, Desilu Studios. Well, Desilu is uh, a reference to Lucille Ball and Desi uh, – Arnaz, right? And we would not have Star Trek without Lucille Ball, period. It's hard to imagine, I know, where we are right now, a world where there's no Star Trek, right? But And we've got multiple TV series, including all of the bedrock of Paramount Plus, novels, movies, comics, the whole gamut, right? But that wasn't always the case. And the original pilot that we've been talking about, The Cage, it wasn't received so well. But the series got a chance to continue and find new life, thanks to a very surprising source, Lucille Ball. She rose to prominence with the comedic show I Love Lucy that a lot of our, you know, uh, some of our older uh, listeners may remember. I know I'm one, thanks to syndication and reruns. But it became one of the most popular sitcoms in history. And that success was major. And it let her and her husband, Desi Arnaz, form their own production studio, 
Desilu Productions, a little history there. So underneath Desilu, right, the TV shows, including The Untouchables, Mission Impossible were made. These were huge, successful, uh, exciting shows. And they eventually divorced in 1960. But Lucille Ball, one smart cookie, she ended up buying out the remaining shares of Desilu in 1962. So she became one of the first female producers to head her own studio. And she used that cloud to secure the rights for Star Trek. And she had to go through a lot of different stuff. She had to convince her board members that the show was worth it. The original series pilot, The Cage, it didn't exactly set the world on fire at the time. Oh, NBC executives, it's too cerebral, too intellectual, and too slow. Where are the breasts and the gunfights? You know, I mean, they were just, uh, you know. You know how these guys are, right? I'm sure nobody uh, works with people like that. But Lucia Ball eventually stepped in, and she financed a second pilot, Where No Man Has Gone Before, which would serve as the series premiere for Star Trek, the original series. Many of Desilu's board members objected to spending so much money and time on the project, but she apparently thought it was a show about actual Hollywood stars traveling across the globe for USO shows. So, sweetheart, read the scripts. It would be what I would recommend. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or apocryphal. A lot of these stories over time, stuff that's, you know, a little goofy becomes uh, becomes realer than it might actually be. So we shall see. But the whole point is, she was a supporter, and she remained a major part of continuing the funding for Star Trek, the original series, and making sure that it got on the airwaves in the first place. And friends, the rest is history. And, and of course, Cybok, Lawrence Luckingville from the best Star Trek movie ever made, Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, is related to Lucille Ball. So there you go. Both wow, friends. what a small <laughs> world it is. <laughs> it is a very small world. Well, guys, with that, believe it or not, it, it, it's over. Can you, can you believe it? I wish it could go it, on forever, Jim. It just, wow. It just, time flies. But at any rate, I just want to say thank you to TJ. It was, it was great to hear from TJ again. I haven't heard from TJ in over 20 years. So thank you so much, TJ, for hanging out and chatting with us tonight. And thank you so much to Charles for hanging out and Trek talking with us tonight as well. Thank you, Charles. Oh, thank you. Enjoy. And thank you so much. Well, uh, David already left, but thank you so much, David, for hanging out with us. And thank you so much to Paul for hanging out and Trek talking with us. Thank you, Paul. Super good time, man. Had a blast tonight. Really great to honor the old school stuff. And I love Pike. He's, He's the man. And thank you so much to Eric as well for hanging out and Trek talking with us. Thank you, Eric. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. I love these themed shows. They're super fun. I love digging into these characters at a yeah, deep level. It's more. really fun. Let's do yeah. more. I yeah. like it, too. So um, I want to let you know what's going on. I, I've been pretty busy here trying to get shows set up. So uh, December 14th, we're going to have Andy Bray Trek sketches on Chekhov's Christmas. And uh, that's going to premiere on the 13th. And we're going to have Andy and Mr. Chekhov on with us. On the 14th. 13th to 14th, Jim. The 14th. The Got episode okay. will drop. The, the episode itself, uh, Chekhov's uh, Christmas Vacation, will drop on YouTube on the 13th. We're going to have Andy on the show here Thursday night on the 14th. Got and it. you guys know, if you ever listen to any of our shows with Andy Bray, especially when Chekhov comes along, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> so you definitely want to 
check that out. Makes me out. laugh just thinking about it. <laughs> it I yeah. can't wait to hear what you have to say. I, I, I'll give you a little hint. Uh, Chekhov and Sulu get in a duel over who celebrates Christmas the best. And if you guys have listened to Andy Bray, uh, you know that there's some animosity there about their children and whatnot, so it'll be a lot of fun. And on Tuesday, December 19th, we're going to have Robin Curtis, who, of course, played Section 3, and Avaj Potenza, who played Mr. Spock at age 13 in Star Trek 3. And that's a Tuesday night, so Paul won't be with us, but... Andy Bray will be joining us as well to see if he can fill Paul's shoes for that particular show. And uh, I've got some other shows that I'm working on, but those are the important ones right now. So uh, make sure you join us for those. They're going to be a lot of fun. I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim. Saying to everybody, please stay safe, be good to each other, and remember, Star Trek fans are the best fans. Hailing frequencies are closed. Good night, everybody. Stay long and prosper. Take care. Let's see what's out there. Engage. Continuum. We are unable to get to the phone right now because we are busy living in a plane of existence your feeble mortal minds cannot possibly comprehend. Furthermore, it's pointless to leave a message because we, of course, already knew that you would call and we simply do not care. Have a nice day. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.